Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. This week we're going to continue our episode on study types. I was joined last week by Dr Malinath Chakraborty, a neonatal consultant at the University Hospital of Wales with an interest in research. We're going to continue our episode this week by focusing on systematic reviews and meta-analyses and discussing how researchers think about study types when they are designing their research projects. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, I suggest going back to listen to that before continuing here. Anyway, let's get started. Um, The next um, topic that I wanted to move on to is essentially the process of synthesizing the data that's out there. Um, So we hear a lot about systematic reviews and meta-analyses. And I was wondering if you could just help us understand what these are a bit better and what the differences are between the two. Uh, so, uh, well, thank you. That's that's quite an important uh, question and and uh, and an area of research on its own. So, one of the um, uh, principles of uh, of sci- or, or one of the important scientific principles um, that are uh, used in research is something called reproducibility. Okay, so a single experiment. So a randomized control trial is a single experiment. Um, a single experiment, while it has value, um, the value will improve if that if the results of that experiment are reproducible. Okay. Uh, in addition to that, you if you run the same experiment on two separate groups of participants and again the results are similar that that adds even more value uh, to a particular condition and a particular uh, research topic okay so that is essentially the principle of a systematic review and um, a, a, a synthesis of the data which is called a meta analysis okay and this is essentially collecting um, multiple iterations of a particular experiment, so a randomized control trial perhaps, um, which has been run on various different populations by various different research groups. Uh, The methods are reasonably similar. The population in question are similar. The experimental condition is similar. So they can be brought together. And then you see how reproducible the results are. Okay. Now, an ability to uh, quantitatively uh, pool uh, information from all of these separate experiments um, is called a meta-analysis. Sometimes that is not possible, where the studies are so different from each other that you cannot uh, um, put all of the information together quantitatively. However, um, you can describe the studies systematically and do something called a narrative review. Okay, so a meta-analysis is a systematic review, but every systematic review is not a meta-analysis. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. So a meta-analysis is a subset of systematic reviews, the broad umbrella of systematic reviews, where you can quantitatively uh, pull together uh, data from various different uh, experiments and reach pooled conclusions. Whereas there are systematic reviews where this is not possible and you end up doing a narrative kind of review. Okay, so that's the difference between them. Wow, that's really helpful. Thank you. So, so with so just to make sure I've got this idea straight with the narrative reviews. So with narrative reviews, if you have multiple experiments that aren't necessarily similar enough to pull the results, that's where you can just well, not just, but you can at least come up with a review, essentially a summary summary review of the of the results in total. But you spe you specify that they are not of the same type of experiment. Is that right? Uh, that, that, that is that is correct. So, um, to, so pooling results together is actually the final step in a systematic review. Okay, uh, a systematic review starts early on where uh, you follow a systematic method to collect similar uh, uh, experiments together. Okay. And that is why it's called a systematic review, because there is a system involved. It needs to be scientific. Every step that you take needs to be uh, validated. And, uh, and you are trying to reduce all of these sources of errors in each of these steps. Whether right at the very end you are able to pull them together or not, that's a separate uh, issue altogether. Um, if you have run it systematically according to um, a, a, a scientific methods, then that is a systematic review. At the end, in the final step, if you can pull them together, it becomes a meta-analysis. If you can't pull them, pull them together, then it remains a systematic review, but a narrative one. Mm -hmm. but, the, um, but the methods that you have taken from the first step where you have formulated a question and then you have gathered some uh, papers which are trying to answer that question, that system uh, gives it the, uh, the name of systematic review. Uh, that's really great. That's great. Thank you very much, Mali. Lovely. So the, the next thing I wanted to move on to now was all about um, which I think we've touched upon a couple of times during this talk, but about essentially the levels of evidence. So the amount of faith we're willing to put into these different um, types of studies that we've discussed so far. So is it okay to, to, to let us know a little bit more about that and how, how we factor that into interpreting data that we come across? Uh, yes, so um, so the levels of levels of evidence uh, essentially is related to uh, something we have already mentioned, uh, which is called the validity of uh, the experiment. And there are various ways in which you make a judgment about the validity of that experiment. If the experiment is uh, completely valid, there are no sources of error and, and no sources where you can say that there is an alternative explanation for this experiment, 
that makes it a higher uh, grade of evidence. Uh, whereas um, if there are, then it uh, goes down in the hierarchy of evidence. Um, so going back to the types of studies, you, uh, you can immediately uh, uh, say that a case series or a case report, um, you can't really reach valid conclusions about the wider population. Um, and so uh, while they're interesting, uh, they are essentially uh, possibly anecdotes rather than uh, firm evidence. So they would come lower down in the hierarchy of evidence. Uh, for case control and cohort studies, um, they are slightly higher up. However, um, as we discussed, there are various sources of bias because the group allocation cannot be controlled. Um, they are not perfectly matched with each other. So again, uh, their grade of evidence, while higher than that of case series and case uh, reports, are lower than a randomized study. Now, if we even in randomized studies, there are you can grade the evidence uh, into uh, low, uh, me, uh, moderate, or high grade uh, evidence. Okay. Now, this there are published systems in how you make this judgment, and uh, and and again, while those systems are a science. Uh, in themselves, so they are scientifically valid systems. Unfortunately, the final judgment that you make as to where this evidence lies, is it high grade or low grade or of moderate quality, that is a judgment, okay? So that judgment is best made by uh, somebody who has uh, experience in that area, who knows uh, the type of research that has already been undertaken or what the literature is already, what new is added by this, type, uh, this particular uh, study, as well as what are the pitfalls uh, which are possible and whether there are um, 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 checks and balances within the study itself so that they have avoided those pitfalls, okay? Uh, so some of it is down to judgment. However, the judgment is made based on um, scientific uh, criteria, including number one, um, what is the risk of bias in the study? Is there a risk of bias in any uh, area of the conduct of the study? And does that risk of bias increase the chance of affecting the results? If the answer is yes, then that becomes automatically becomes low grade evidence. Okay. The other uh, thing that you need to look at is the precision of the results. Okay. And uh, by precision, I will use a term which perhaps we won't discuss today, um, but you will come across quite commonly, uh, which is called confidence interval. Okay. So, uh, whenever you reach a conclusion in a study, mainly for uh, quantitative studies, um, you reach a point estimate 
and you have a confidence interval which is the error margin around that point estimate okay so the narrower the error margin the tighter it is the more precise the study is the wider it is the less precise the study is so you have to uh, let me let me give you a way of thinking about it so if you have a very wide confidence interval so much so that uh, if you look at the higher end of the confidence interval and look at the lower end of the confidence interval and if those were the true results then you would end up offering completely different interventions to those two groups of people then that makes it very imprecise okay so the two ends of the confidence intervals will result in two different conclusions and two different interventions or two different approaches towards that towards that disease if that is the case then you are your your results are very imprecise and automatically the grade of that evidence uh, goes down um, um, you can also uh, think about consistency um, and that is something we have discussed as part of your uh, systematic reviews where um, you, you where a certain result or a certain type of study is reproducible um, in different conditions on similar group of people and on a similar topic so if there is reproducibility then the study is consistent and that makes it a higher grade of evidence if the study is very inconsistent although run on a similar population and under similar conditions then makes then makes it inconsistent and that reduces your grade of evidence um, the other th other is about indirectness so for example if you have run a study say say let's take the example of covid um, so if you run a study on adults uh, giving them giving half of them uh, one of the covid vaccines and the other half you don't give it so a proper randomized control trial and your result or your uh, conclusion is that the vaccine is highly effective and it and it prevents um, a, any any serious disease and it doesn't have any side effects now if you want to um, extrapolate those results which are conducted in adults on say five year olds that would be indirect evidence okay so for five year olds that study is low grade evidence okay so the study needs to be conducted in that particular population to make it a higher grade of evidence it is still evidence you you won't throw it away but the grade of evidence is low okay whereas if you have directly done it on that particular population then the grade of evidence will automatically go up so these are various factors that you take into account when you are judging the grade of evidence that's brilliant thank you mali i think you've covered pretty much everything i was wondering about when it came to levels of evidence did you have anything else that you wanted to add in there mali before i move on uh, so so levels of evidence um, has become an area of uh, qualitative science 
and um, there are um, publications about it and it, it, has, it, it has become an area in itself, uh, just like systematic reviews and an area of science in itself. Um, grades of evidence is also an area of science and uh, there are lots of uh, material out there uh, which you can look up, uh, which explains it in far more detail than I have gone into and probably far more eloquently as well. Um, so, um, uh, but I, but again, grades of evidence are probably uh, more relevant when you are looking at various different studies um, from, um, to judge which study is uh, more valid and which study isn't. And, and, and as I said, some of it comes down to judgment. Uh, so it's not a perfect quantitative science. Uh, it's more qualitative science. Uh, Do you have any recommendations for things that people should go on to read? There is a if if you uh, if you uh, Google um, gradeworkinggroup.org, uh, so that's uh, that, that that that's the website that I'm talking about where they have formalized uh, some of these uh, recommendations, and um, and there are quite a lot of resources on their website. There is some software as well which you can download. Uh, to uh, to do these uh, to make these judgments a little bit more uh, formal and and you can record these judgments properly um, but ultimately you have to remember that these are judgments rather than perfect quantitative science wow, that's brilliant thank you Mali now this this last question feel free to ignore this one Mali if, if you don't feel like answering this but I was wondering how as, as a researcher yourself, how do researchers go about factoring all this in when they're designing a study? So when they, when they put, you've mentioned already, I think, a bit about pilot studies and, and the like. So when thinking about a study design, how do they take all of these different levels of evidence and the type of study they want to produce into account? Um, so that, that's, that's quite an important uh, question, Asim. And uh, actually, uh, that is one of the reasons why uh, research is so slow and often uh, becomes restrictive because the checks and balances that you have to factor in in order to reduce uh, all of the common sources of error and to try and reach a valid conclusion which you can extrapolate to a wider population um, those checks and balances are not trivial and uh, and you have to uh, plan your methods and your uh, experiment in a way that you factor as many of them in as possible. So starting off with knowing the background literature um, so that you can identify which questions remain unanswered and which questions uh, will potentially uh, improve care, okay? So which can change care or change outcomes in a particular way. Uh, not just interesting, but will also benefit the patient population. So, so that takes 
probably years and a knowledge of background literature, which takes some time to build up. From there, you start thinking of what are potential uh, interventions that you can design or what are what potential questions are, are there which you might want answered okay uh, so those questions need to be very tight uh, they have to define things um, very carefully so that there's no ambiguity and it can't be interpreted in various different ways and you usually take the help of um, a new group of people called uh, methodologists. So they develop methods as you go along with them. And they are the ones who are experts in putting in checks and balances on the way as you go along to make the experiment as valid as possible. Okay. Of course, we have left out one big thing from all of this discussion, which is funding. And uh, that probably is the biggest hurdle to cross uh, because you can develop your knowledge of the background literature. You can think uh, up a good question or a good intervention to try out, but some you have to convince someone else to fund it so that you can run this, uh, run this study. So, uh, so that is um, a big step and a big hurdle to cross and um, lots of researchers essentially uh, stumble uh, at that hurdle. Uh, once that hurdle is crossed, uh, you uh, plan your experiments so that you reduce the chance of uh, getting uh, a result uh, which is not, uh, which is entirely random, which is not the true results. You reduce the chances of bias or the risk of bias in the study so that uh, you can uh, reach valid conclusions. You narrow your uh, confidence intervals, you make your results more precise, and uh, you, uh, for doing that, you need to have adequate sample size. And you run a statistical tests which are valid for your experimental design and reach conclusions which are modest, not speculative, and can be explained by what you have observed. They, you can't uh, make wild claims that I have eliminated this or I have eliminated that. You, you have to ha make modest claims uh, as to what you are able to achieve. Okay? So these are the various different ways that you factor in all of these things while designing a trial. As you can imagine, it's not uh, the job of a single person. Uh, you have a team of people working together uh, to reach that objective. Uh, thank you, Mali. That was some really useful insights into someone who's clearly far more further along their research career than I am. Some really helpful um, thoughts into it all there. Thank, th well, thank you very much, uh, Asim, and, and thank you for um, having me on your on your uh, program. Um, it's 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 been an absolute pleasure, and I hope um, uh, your listeners uh, enjoy this and uh, and perhaps 
benefit from from listening to this uh, conversation thank thank you again Mali. and i just wanted to say thank you to Mali for recording that with us join us again next week for another episode of dragon bites